0: i want to start out with uh hopefully it's an easy one but and i hope it's not too trite i wanted to ask you how did you decide to get into acting i kind of blundered in. i
1: volunteered I, i loved to get on stage as a kid but i never volunteered if i could be drafted then everything was fine because you didn't volunteer because it'd be a sissy thing to do so i uh i always loved loved to get on stage but uh Always had to be drafted. And then when I was in college, I uh, got out for radio. I had done radio in high school, and I loved it. I was at the University of Chicago. I read for my uh, uh, roommate, who considered himself in his feet. He was knocked out by my reading, so I went and read for the play, because I was going to summer school, and he wasn't. I uh, ended up doing the lead. There's T.S. Eliot's murder,
0: murdered in the Cathedral.
1: And it, uh, it hooked me.
0: After that, I know that you had spent some time with, in Chicago's Playwrights Theater Club before you went to New York. And this was kind of the, really the golden age of live television. What was it like kind of breaking into TV at the time? Well,
1: I shut up and... Uh, Fortunately, I got uh, out with the Sunday morning shows, mostly on CBS. Camera 3, Look Up and Live, Lamp into My Feet. Did well there, and then got enough of a name, I guess. I was soon doing uh, a three-penny opera, by the way. I came to New York in September and uh, was in three-penny by February and uh, stayed there three years. I guess I developed a name and started doing Under Fives on primetime TV, mostly CBS, and uh, acquired a name and began to move up. Under Fives is Under Five Lines, and finally satisfied them enough to be a roles. In the meantime, I, I also became a Uh, came under the notice of the Burt, oh Christ, what was his name? We did Route 66 and Naked City, and I did both shows, uh, mostly Naked City. I did the same character twice. One of them uh, we filmed in L.A. They liked me, and then they started hiring me for Route 66.
0: What would you kind of consider to be the one role that really puts you on the map, you know, like, I know, obviously, you know, everybody knows Luke Grant, Mary Tyler Moore. But before that, what what was the moment where you're like, I have arrived? No, there was never that moment. No? No.
1: <laughs> no, no, no. Never, never had that cockiness.
0: <laughs> that kind of cockiness. Well, I guess when was the moment when people would start to recognize you on the street and be like, hey, you're that guy from this?
1: Well, I suppose they did, or thought they did, but uh, it really didn't happen until Mary Tyler Moore. I did. Uh, I got an, I had another series in '63. Yeah, we were making the pilot in Sacramento, starring uh, uh, Richard Crenna, and I was cast as the Capitol Hill reporter. We were there when uh, the assassination took place. Oh, wow. So I I got that series, Bing Cosby Productions, and um, thought I was sitting on top of the world. And, and then I realized, as the shows developed, I'd be in some shows and then not in others, that he was the conscience of the show, and there really was no uh, nothing for me to do, uh, because the role... I played, had to be the conscience as well. So uh, after the first 13, I uh, I asked to be released from my contract. And uh, I did it with the encouragement of my agent. And uh, they said, okay, well, we'll let you go if you agree to come back at the same price, which was the Becker's price, for when we need you. Well, they had a show in the Hopper already, dealing with uh, my being arrested because I refused to divulge privileged information. And it was a—I I would have done it for nothing.
0: You worked at least twice that I know of with Elvis Presley and Kid Galahad and um, Change of Habit. What was that like?
1: It was very pleasant both uh, Galahad and and uh, uh, there was a marked difference in the man I was working with. He had an entourage surrounding him when we did Kid Galahad. He was busy learning karate and breaking his hands and fingers in the process, uh, but he was still very nice. And uh, some few years later, did a change of habit, and he didn't have an entourage around him anymore. He was just... A smooth romancer.
0: Was that the first time that you had worked with Mary Tyler Moore? I
1: didn't work with her. I knew I know she was in it, but we never saw each
0: other. Oh, that's funny. Yeah. I've got a, a, I don't know if it's a rare film or if it never got released, but you were in a movie that I've read a lot about over the years that nobody seems to know anything about. It was called Do Not Throw Cushions Into the Ring.
1: Well, uh, Steve Lynette was a wonderful, promising actor, and uh, he was so eager to get ahead that uh, he wasn't going to wait for them to cast him in uh, starring roles on TV. He was going to make his own movie. And Don't Throw Christians in the Ring was his first attempt. And I, uh, he played an actor in it, and I was his agent, and... Uh, uh, we improvised a lot of it, and uh, it led. Uh, uh, it became recognized at various places, and then uh, finally he got the big break of doing a rodeo movie. And I, I, think James Coburn was in. I forget who else. Um, and while he was in Con trying to sell that movie, he had his fatal heart attack. But if you go back to that era, that period of TV, you'd, you'd recognize. Him. He did. He did. Uh, he had a wonderful style.
0: I I h n a t. Yeah, I definitely I recognized him and I recognized the name and it just seemed, you know, like this was a passion project, you know, because he wrote, directed, starred, you know, small cast and it, everything I've read. It sounded fascinating, but I've never been able to track down a copy. Yeah.
1: I, I don't know where you'd get it. I don't know.
0: If I knew where his widow
1: was, I'd tell you. She's a nice gal. Sally is her name.
0: I kinda grew up on Mary Tyler Moore. I don't know if that it makes you feel bad that I'm younger oh, or not. I feel bad. I okay, well some people are just like, You make me feel old here. Oh <laughs> <hell>. <laughs> Well, I grew up on that show and I'm how was that as far as being such a an ensemble cast?
1: It was like the Yellow Yellowbrook Road. Yeah, it was a wonderful, lush experience. It was lush. We didn't get paid a lot of money, of course, but uh, the joy of doing those writers' and producers' writings, doing those characters. As I said, even before we were picked up for the first 13, I said, I don't care if we don't get picked up after the first 13. Just to be able to do these scripts... And this character, I'll never have the opportunity again. Unfortunately, it's sold.
0: It's just so many great actors all in one place, and just that chemistry that it f- was palpable coming through the television to back then. I mean, Ted Knight and Gavin McCloud. I mean, just such an amazing cast. And
1: Mary. Don't forget Mary.
0: Oh, can't forget and Mary. Rhoda. Betty White. Mm hmm. I'm so glad to to see, you know, you and Betty White and all these folks still working today. It's yeah. terrific. Well, we're happy about it too, it pays the bills. How did the decision come about though? Cuz I don't I can't think of any other character that has done this other than maybe Trapper John from MASH going from pretty much a comedy to such a serious drama with Lou Grant. How did that kind of come about? Well,
1: that was the eagerness of my two producers One, it was clear that the Mary Tyler show was going off the air, and CBS said, well, they they wanted me for future series work. So I said, fine, uh, uh, I'd like MTM to handle the series. They said, fine. I'd like Alan Burns and Jim Brooks to, to produce if they'll do it. They said, they said, fine. A few months after that decision was made, they came back to me and they said, we think we'd like to get him back to print, which meant an hour show. They said it cavalierly, not knowing that they were asking for more grief than you can imagine, because going from a half-hour audience, three-camera show, to an hour dramedy, as we called it, Uh, no audience, single-camera. Is like uh, opposite sides of the moon. Nobody had done an hour series before in uh, in a in, a, in a, as a continuum. Uh, nobody really knew what they were doing, and it was only through hard work, slogging, and discovery. But I, uh, I'm proud of what we did.
0: As an actor, what kind of a challenge is that for you to kind of be the same character? But you really had to approach it from a very different angle. It felt like.
1: Well, they they all tried to say, "Well, you you're the only one out there who can carry the banner for what we had. You've got to keep reminding what Lou 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 is and and uh, you know blah blah blah." So that first year, I struggled mightily to uh, to be the the star, the co-star from Mary Tyler Moore, and the star of Lou Grant. And uh, I was in therapy at the time, and um, I wasn't crazy about my therapist, but I'll always be grateful for this one thing he gave me. I'm on the couch after the show opened, and I said, "So what'd you think?" And he almost never said anything, but this time he said, "Why do you grimace so much?" And I went, "Oh, it's like he polaxed me," and I realized that because there was no audience no laughter, and that yet there were laugh lines in the show, that to carry the show forward as the emissary of the past, I would grimace every time we did a laugh line. And I stopped that crap very quickly.
0: The show was was a success, right? You guys ran for at least five years with Lou Grant.
1: Well, it wasn't a success. I, I think we were number 64 on the, on the first weeks or ratings. We never got into the top ten or anything, but we became a respected show. And as uh, some emissary from CBS said, they had nothing to replace us with.
0: I find it very amusing that you've kind of come back to, not necessarily Lou Grant, but coming back as other gruff newsroom people with J. Jonah Jameson and Perry White in the cartoons. When did you start doing the voiceover work?
1: Uh, the first uh, recognized voiceover work I did was uh, Captain Planet for Turner.
0: Ah, okay. And I played
1: Hoggish Greedly, uh, an environmental, uh, a, a um, an anti-environmental pig. <laughs> well, he he wasn't a pig. He was theoretically a human, but he looked like a pig. I succeeded with that character, and it just led to further for the voiceovers.
0: You've done so many roles over the years. What have been some of the favorites that people just might not remember or that you would like people to kind of go back and check out?
1: Well, I always carry a fondness for uh, Rich Man, Poor Man. I did a um, black comedy out of Canada at that time called Heads. Jennifer Tilly and John Cryer were in that. It was a, a great fun show to do. I did Family Man with Ann Jackson and uh, Meredith Baxter, and uh, that was a piece of my soul was in that. Uh, I did uh, Case of Libel, which uh, was a TV version of the uh, uh, Henry Denker play, and I loved doing that. That was in Canada as well. Uh, I girl most likely too, I did with uh, Stockard Channing,
0: Oh, um, I love that film. Yeah, yeah.
1: And uh and yet today is when they came back the next day after it showed that, that first opening night. And Alan Burns said, What were you thinking? Why did you do that? <laughs> and yet every everybody uh since that <laughs> with love and, and laughter about that character.
0: And it holds up too.
1: Yeah. I would think so. It was it was
0: done on the edge. What was the movie uh, Gus like? The mule that could kick a hundred yards? Yeah, yeah. Well, that had
1: every comedian in Hollywood in it at the time, and uh, my role was okay, but uh, it uh, it it really uh, didn't go anywhere.
0: Hmm. I've always appreciated that you can do comedy, whether it be broad or subtle. You can do drama, and then you can play just such a great son of a bitch. I mean, when you were in JFK, you scared the bejesus out of me as Guy Bannister.
1: Well, I uh, I worked hard make, making my uh, my latest version of a monster. It uh, and uh, left a few scratches on Jack Lemon's face while doing it.
0: Oh. Geez. Had you two worked before that
1: one? Yeah, we were on Broadway together in uh, Face of a Hero. He was a lovely, lovely man.
0: I'm sorry sure I ever tweaked a hair of his head. And, of course, you're, you're rolling up. I mean, I can't go back and watch that movie. It makes me cry every single time. Well, you're supposed to. They had me bawling like a baby. You
1: can't deny necessity. I'm very I proud mean, of that film, but, of course, I'm just a cog in it. Pete Doctor the producer, director, uh, writer, he's he's the one that deserves all the praise.
0: What was your time like as the president of the Guild?
1: It was harrowing. Uh, It was a place where I found that um, uh, when you get into high places, uh, your friends will uh, be a bigger pain in the ass than your enemies. So a lot of that happened. There are all kinds of liberals in the world, and I'm one but there's another kind of liberal who may have a, a different agenda. And uh, he'll work against you if he has to. So you, you, you're just not busy enough. Uh, the enemy is over there, over on the right. And you, you always got your eye on them, but they're the least of your worries and, until they get into a supermajority, and then, then you're dead. But
0: uh,
1: it was a great learning experience. I came in with a great deal of naivete. And uh, I learned on the job.
0: It seems like you are one busy man. Just looking at some of the films that have been announced, some of the films that are in post-production, you don't stop working.
1: Well, if you, if you stop, you're dead. Now, that's in any walk of life, I think.
0: And I don't plan to die soon. And not only are you doing the the work, but also all the charity work as well. Can you tell me about some of the charity work that you're involved in?
1: Defenders of Wildlife,
0: Autism Speaks,
1: um, I do them as they come along. What they? I, I try to help any, any environmental organization I can, that, that, that nails me. And um, anything that I can do about achieving peace in the Middle East is certainly dear to my heart. Um, so the environment, um, autism, uh, I have an autistic son and an autistic grandson. So, uh, and my son is the project director. My older son is the project director for Autism Speaks. So, uh, I, uh, I become pretty eaten up by them whenever they need me.
0: I bet, yeah.
1: And unions. You know, I used to be a big, a a big uh, outcryer for unions, but of course, organized labor has disappointed me a great deal lately. So particularly with the deterioration of my own union. And uh, Mm -hmm. it don't make me happy. Scott Walker up in Wisconsin, uh, whose main claim to fame is uh, having defeated the unions there. These dogs, I guess, will have their day. And these dogs will finally go out of style, give them enough rope. And eventually, the laziest dog the people will finally say, that's enough of this shit, and band together and hopefully find leaders who can lead them into the path of righteousness. It's not a pretty picture.
0: No. Well, let's end on something a little bit more positive. What are you working on these days that's making you happy? What's What's got you excited?
1: Well, I'm still doing my one-man show of FDR. Yeah. And I'm I'm rehearsing another one-man show, written by a writer, producer from Mary, uh, Ed Weinberger. And, uh, if it works out okay, we'll take that out and exploit it. Um, uh, it's, it's, a cute show. It's a man and his prostate is the name of it. And I'm working with the writer, director, actor from, uh, the actor's studio, uh, I don't know why I can't cough up his last name right now, but uh, we made a film together with Mark Rydell, and me acting in it—it's about a twelve-minute film dealing with nine eleven—and uh, he's written another one, uh, which we, t- Mark and I, take out and do as a reading, and that's called Oxymorons. So I've—I've I've got these various
0: activities. Terrific! Oh, is it uh, Brian Connors? Is yeah, that right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, that's great. Well, hey, thank you so much for your time. This has been wonderful talking to you.
1: Well, you gave me the the break I needed, and I thank you. Who can turn the world on with a smile? Who can take a nothing day and suddenly make it all seem worthwhile i